0: contentment in the midst of that up and down craziness. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 1 uh, to teach us how we find this source of happiness, contentment, regardless of our circumstances. So Psalm 1, if you want to turn there in your Bible, it'll be on the screen. Psalm 1 is the gatekeeper to the rest of the book of Psalms. It was placed at the beginning on purpose. It was placed at the beginning for a reason. It's sort of like a summation of the entire book. So we're just going to focus on those first three verses this morning. The psalm actually has six total, but we're just going to stop right there. And it starts with this word, uh, esher, esher. So everyone say esher. It's Hebrew uh, meaning blessed, blessed, or another translation is happy. It starts off by telling us how to live a life that is blessed or a life that is happy um, or a life that is content. How do we live a life that has a firm grounding in the middle of the ups and downs that we encounter in the rest of the Psalms? So a little bit of a Bible lesson here for a second. Anyone ever heard of the word chiasm, chiastic structure? Sweet, I'm going to tell you what it is. Chiasm or chiastic structure basically comes from the word chi, which is the Greek letter X. And it just means diagonal points obviously, right? It's an X. It's it, just a diagonal arrangement where this point connects to this point and this point connects to this point. So it's opposite points in the scripture to kind of help us get to a, an intended meaning. Not, not necessarily a hidden meaning, but it really points us in the direction of what we should be looking at. So I found a couple of those in our text this morning that I think will help kind of unlock where we're going with this. So if you're gonna put that first scripture up. Oh, here's an example of a chiasm. This is a classic one in scripture. This is the story of Noah. A lot of times we hear the story of Noah and the flood, and we wonder, like, did the flood really happen? Was it just a big rainstorm? Blah, blah, blah. All those questions, right? And then we wonder, uh, or maybe if you read in a children's book, God, uh, Noah was good, right? Noah was a good man. so God saved him. Actually, that's not true. Noah probably was a great guy, but the reason that God spared Noah wasn't because Noah was a great guy. It was because, if we look at this chiasm, the main point is point P, is that God remembers Noah. So as you can see, A and A1 line up. Then B and B1 at the bottom line up, right? So there's verses that go along with this. And then it gets all the way to the middle of the X, and it's God remembers Noah. So there's a lot that we could take from the story of Noah. But as we look at this, the author really wants us to see the point that it is God who remembers Noah. All right? So this is the power and the, the structure of a, a chiasm in Scripture. So let's just go to Psalm 1 now. So the first three verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That A is contrasted or compared to A1. That person... Is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. All right, so the point of the first three verses is B. It points in the middle. So that's, pretty, that's a basic, basic understanding of it. Now let's zoom in a little bit. Let's do this on our iPhone. Go to the next slide. There's actually multiple chiasms. So if you're a Bible nerd, this is exciting. There's actually multiple chiasms within a chiasm. So the first one, verse one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That's one verse, right? So as we see, we have A and then on the bottom, A1. Those two kind of go together. Blessed is the one who does not walk and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I'm going I'm to share how they, they go together. So in in verse C or subverse C and C1, uh, we have... Someone sitting in the company of mockers. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Is there a slide with the words bolded? No? Okay. So the person is like a tree planted by streams of water, and the person is sitting in the company of mockers. So C is kind of the beginning of the verse. So verse C and C1 are the beginnings. Right? If you plant a tree, you put a seed in the ground. Right? If you sit, you sit down. Both of those things are, are downward directions. Um, you're sedentary is another word, way to say if you're not moving, right? And what is sediment? It's the, the dirt that settles to the bottom of the water. It comes from the same Latin word, sit, both of those. So I don't want to make too much of this, but just enough to say that this is C versus C or like the beginning stage of this passage. We are sitting, that's the beginning. You're starting, you're sitting, and then you're planting a seed. So then we move out to B and B1, get a little bit bigger. Uh, and this is kind of like the in-between step. This is a transition. So a tree, once it's planted and grows up, it yields fruit, right? An apple tree yields apples. And the, the fruit itself, just having apples on a tree, isn't the point of the apples, right? The apples are meant to, to spread the seed of the apple tree to produce more apples. The apples are meant uh, to be nourishment for people. We eat them for animals, right? The apples have a purpose other than just being produced, So it's kind of not fulfilling its purpose yet. In the same way, uh, or standing in the way that sinners take. If you stand up, you don't just stand forever, right? Standing is a kind of a transition, of, well, unless you're my dad. Um, anyone have a family party? My, everyone's sitting down at the table and my dad's the one over there standing against the wall like this and everyone's like, dad, sit down. <laughs> you're, really, you're making us nervous. He's like, oh, I just wanna stand. Everyone's sitting and he's like hovering over you Does anyone do that? Anyone do that? Okay. Maybe it's just my family. But standing is transitional. It's not normal. If everyone's sitting or everyone's walking and you're just standing you're kind of in the middle of something, right? Same thing with the fruit being produced. And then we move out to the very last, A and A1, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. It's this fullness of the fruit. The fruit is prospering. It's fulfilling its God-given purpose. It's providing food for creatures like you and me and animals, and it's uh, providing seed for new apple trees. It's fulfilling its purpose. In the same way, uh, the opposite of walking with the wicked. This isn't like just sitting around wickedness. This isn't just standing near it. You are fully intentionally walking in the way of wickedness. So blessed is the one who does not walk in the wickedness, but whose leaf does, uh, does not wither and prospers. So do we see, see this uh, C and C1, B and B1, A and A1? They kind of have this progression of the beginning transition to full full-on walking with wickedness or the opposite of full-on prospering of what the fruit is supposed to do. So that brings us to the main point, which is D, the second verse. D is the main point. The one who is eshe'er, the one who is happy or blessed, is the one who meditates on God's word day and night and takes delight in it. So Psalm 1 is teaching us that if we want to have an unshakable happiness, if we want to have an immovable contentment in the craziness of life, that does not waver regardless whatever the world throws at you, regardless of who the next president is, regardless of your current circumstances, your current finances, your current living situation. If you want to have a peace that transcends the complexity of life or a joy that transcends the mundane sometimes nature of our day today, if you want that, Psalm 1 is teaching us that the answer is to meditate On God's word, the law of the Lord, and to delight in it. Pretty simple, right? We tend, though, to delight in other things and to meditate on other things because we think that those things will give us happiness. We tend to meditate, think about, our brain is consumed with a lot of things that are not God or God's word, uh, and these aren't bad things, but we tend to think that they will bring us happiness, and then we tend to delight in some of those things. So last week, if you guys were here last week, Lonnie talked about meditating on the word of God and God's commands being wonderful and what it looks like to actually have them in our head all the time. So today I want to zoom in on the other part of this, the delight. I want to zoom in on delight today. So we have meditate and delight. Those are two important things in order to find this contentment. And by learning to delight in God's word, we learn to delight in God. Why? Who is God's word about? God, right? So, pretty, pretty simple. This is delighting in God's word brings us to delight in God Himself. So, just want to ask you the question: What do you delight in? What brings you delight? For me, uh, that's a hard question. I don't know exactly what brings me delight, but I do notice that uh, I think dogs bring me delight. When I see a dog, when I go to pet a dog, uh, something happens to me. I'm a pretty reserved person in general, um, and. But when I see a dog, I kind of just, I get down, I want to pet it, and like roll around with it. My parents have a little dog, and I, as soon as I come home, I like grab it and roll around on the floor, and we play. And it's kind of this like uncontrollable thing. I'm mean like, whoa, where did that come from, Adam? You're like super reserved and quiet, and all of a sudden you're running around like a crazy person with this dog. It's just kind of this thing that happens to me, and I don't really know where it comes from. I didn't like practice delighting in dogs, right? Does anyone resonate with something like this, maybe it's not dogs, maybe it's cats. Anyone resonate with cats? Okay, insert all the cat jokes here. I'll keep them out. Jason delights in cats. Um, Another thing I delight in is oysters. Not in the same way as dogs. I like eating oysters. I don't eat dogs. Uh, but oysters. I love oysters. I don't roll around with them or like jump up and down, but I just love how they taste. It's one of my favorite foods. I don't know why I didn't practice delighting in oysters. I didn't come up with a three-step strategy for delighting in oysters. It just happened to me. So what, what is it like for you to, to delight in something? Just take, just take 10 seconds in, in quiet and imagine what is something you delight in and what is that experience like? Go. All right, raise your hand if that's a positive experience. Okay, good. Delighting, and this is obvious, right? Delighting in something is usually positive. Right? It's this great experience of joy, of happiness, of ah, everything is right right now. This dog loves me for the person that I should be, that I, he thinks I'm somebody else. He thinks I'm much better than I am, judging by his reaction. And I just want to play with him all day long. Something comes over you in delight. Now, contrast that with God, does anyone have a hard time delighting in God? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. I do. Anyone have a hard time delighting in God's word, right? I think, okay, I should pray. I know it's good. I should delight in God. Uh, but if I'm honest, my reaction to dogs is often much more uh, full of emotion and excitement than my reaction is to, to God or spending time in prayer. Anyone, you know, again, rhetorical, if you want to raise your hand, you can, but no pressure. Anyone feel like prayer is a chore, Anyone struggle to spend more than two minutes praying? Does anyone struggle to hear God's voice? Does anyone struggle to actually want to connect with God? Does anyone struggle having uh, an emotional reaction to God? Mostly, I find myself wanting to do other things than spending time in prayer, right? Mostly, I want to I wanna play games on my phone. Mostly, I want to hang out with friends. All good things, all fine things, um, But how do I get to the place where my heart and soul desires to connect with God? How do we learn to delight in God? Because I don't think it happens the same way that uh, dogs, I delight in dogs, just happened. I just like dogs. I don't think it happens the same way. I think it's something that we have to learn to do, something we have to train ourselves to do. And as I was thinking about this teaching and this whole series, I realized that the Psalms... uh, the psalmist do three things uh, most often. And I have kind of learned that these three things, uh, again, not to be too formulaic, but these three things help me to increase my delight in God. And again, I wasn't trying to increase my delight. As I was just kind of doing these things, I realized like, wow, this is weird, Adam. I actually want to go home and pray. Like, I've never had that thought in my life until the past maybe year or so. Like I actually want to leave this thing because I'm tired of being here, and I want to go home and spend time with God. That is that was a crazy thought to me, um, but it was exciting. I was like, "Oh, I'm delighting in God. This is this is good news." So three things. Number one is worship, regardless of your circumstances. So this is speaking truth about who God is to yourself and back to God, worshiping regardless of your circumstances. There's so many situations in the Psalms in which the writer is in a really, really, really bad place, right? Much worse of a place than I have ever found myself. Yet the psalmist worships God. Basically, he speaks who God is to himself and to God based on who God is, Not on how the writer feels, not on his circumstances, not on his current reality, whether it's a gospel moment or a blues moment. The psalmist offers his worship to the Lord based on who God is. So I have a, we're going to fly through a bunch of psalms, and I want you guys to do a little exercise. If you're taking notes or if you have your phone, I want you to write a tally mark every time something in one of these psalms that comes up grabs you. You don't have to know why. You don't have to know what for. Just if something in the psalm really grabs at your heart, you resonate with it for some unknown reason, or maybe you know, just write a tally mark, all right? And then later on, you go back and maybe spend some time in that psalm with God. And you don't have to write down all the references. We'll make them available somewhere. So first scripture reference. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. Does anyone think of God and groan? Have you ever had a moment where you're like, oh God, ugh? You're like, ugh, I'm just so sick of God. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. I tried to pray and I almost passed out. You kept my eyes from closing. Anyone st- struggle falling asleep at night because you're too anxious or depressed or something? I was too troubled to speak. I'm just so, I'm so troubled, I just can't, I have no words. Then I thought, so the psalmist, like, aha, then I remembered. To this I will appeal, the years when the, when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. So if you've ever groaned over God, if you've ever uh, passed out from prayer, if you've ever not been able to fall asleep because you're so anxious, and then the psalmist like, aha, but then I remembered. I will remember what God has done. And he worships the Lord regardless of all of that groaning and current circumstances. Next verse. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Anyone have obsessive thoughts sometimes? Anyone have sorrow in their heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Next slide. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. All right. So we have this awful kind of emotional circumstances, but I will trust in your love and rejoice in your salvation. Next slide. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. There's no qualifier. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Next slide. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. I love this. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. It's actually fitting. It's like, it fits us well, like a nice jacket. It fits us to praise God. Praise be to God, praise be to the Lord, to God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Imagine what scenario the psalmist had to be in to write that God brings escape from death. God is a God who bears our burdens daily. So, whatever burden you are carrying today, right now at 10 something, God will bear it. And that is what he worships the Lord for. Next. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence. Next slide. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I love this one. This is a great transition to the next point too, but I love this, this idea of God being my counselor at night in my heart. God God counsels me and I will praise him for that regardless of what, whatever he's counseling me about. Right? Whatever hard situation I'm going through. So that brings us to number two. So number one is worship regardless of your circumstances. Speaking truth about who God is. And number two is getting brutally honest with yourself and with God in his presence. I think that's the key part, in his presence. So I mean brutally honest, right? So think about it. There's no thought or no emotion in your head or in your heart that God already does not know. So it's helpful to get it out in front of God. And I promise you, you will be met by the radical, radical gentleness of Jesus time and time and time again. If that means saying, God, I hate you, I'm so angry, I don't even know if you exist, why have you done this to me? Uh, There's scriptural basis for saying those things in the Psalms. Get honest with God in his presence. That's the key part, in his presence. So let's fly through a couple of Psalms really quick. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak because of my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. That is pretty honest, right? That's pretty honest with God. Those who see me on the street flee from me. Hopefully that's never happened to any of us. I have never been able to resonate with that. No one has ever run away from me. Like, hey, friend, that's never happened. Hopefully not to you. Next slide. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Has your heart ever been in anguish? Next slide. Don't forget to write tallies if these, if any way they connect with you. Record my misery. <laughs> List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? God, record the misery that I'm going. Don't forget it. Next slide. You, God, know my folly. You know my foolishness. You know my games that I play. My guilt is not hidden from you. How often do we think that uh, God doesn't see our foolishness, our junk, our sin, our guilt? Actually, it's not hidden. God knows it all. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Does anyone, anyone struggle with anxiety in, in this room? Next slide. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. And last. You have searched me. This is Psalm 139, classic. For you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts. You discern my going out and my Laying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. That's scary, right? Anyone, especially if you drive in traffic. Before a word is on my tongue, God knows it completely. So, being brutally honest with God in His presence is what brings us transformation. Being honest with with other people um, about what's going on can be helpful, uh, but being honest with God in God's presence is the thing that really uh, opens up transformation. So I want to invite up Ethan. He's going to share uh, a quick story of this. Uh, so in home group, uh, Ethan goes to my home group. You want to come up here so we can all see you? Uh, West End home group. And we, we over the summer for a while, we did this Uh, listening prayer exercise kind of diving into how do we hear God's voice Uh, so I set up this scene where I I, Ethan can fill in the blanks but I'm pretty sure I I said like imagine the thing that you don't want God to see the thing that you are the most ashamed of or disgusted by uh, and it's in a box Um, and then you're you're with Jesus and you have that box in your hand and then kind of just I want you to use your imagination what happens
1: everybody can you hear me great so just like adam said um i'm closing my eyes and i'm picturing and thinking of the very things that make me really anxious and uncomfortable the things that i would bring to god and pray about and feel really frustrated that i had to pray about this thing again or keep dwelling on this thing and in the listening prayer, Jesus walks into the room, like Adam said, and, and knows what's in the box, and I know that he knows what's in the box, and what happened next in my mind was uh, Jesus just started destroying the box, like smashing it. Um, I imagined fire, and I kept picturing it over and over, um, and as I pictured that, I started to realize that I wasn't really feeling any differently, and I just kept picturing it again and again. Um, And then I remembered a conversation that I had with Adam, actually, a few weeks prior to that, about prayer. And I had told him that I felt like God was sick of hearing me pray, and that I was like a broken record, and um, he was probably upset with me. Um, And then Adam said something to me that, that kind of caused me to reflect differently about all that. And I remembered what we had talked about then, and then I got a different picture of Jesus in that moment and instead of destroying the box he just wrapped himself around the box and embraced it and in that moment I felt very different almost immediately Um, the anxiety that I felt was replaced with a peaceful feeling and the frustration that I felt was replaced with a relief and since then I've started realizing and and thinking more on what that means. And I think it means that God will embrace all of us, not just the parts that look like Him or that bring Him glory, but even the parts that we don't like to think about. Um, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And so He can use any experience to glorify Him. And it's just been a very, very good thing for me to dwell on lately. I don't feel all of the same anxiety when I pray, and I don't feel all of the same frustration. I actually enjoy getting to bring all of myself to God and feel at peace with that. So thanks for listening to that. Awesome. Thank you, Ethan. I just love that. When he
0: brought all of himself in front of God. Like, we spend so much time hiding parts of ourselves from each other, right? And that's exhausting. It's so exhausting. But with God, we don't have to do that. God already knows anyway, so we bring all of ourselves to him. And then Jesus embraced the box. I just love that. Jesus hugging the box of all the stuff that Ethan is ashamed of or that brings him anxiety. And from that, like, oh, I can be, you can kind of breathe out. Like, God, God loves me. Like God, this means the most simple truth in the whole universe that we talk about all the time. Like Jesus loves me exactly as I am. He loves all of the junk in this box. And he, and he's willing to take it and and embrace me. It's not hidden from him. But when we do that in His presence, we get this unshakable uh, assurance that God loves us, right? Because Jesus always meets us with His radical. Radical gentleness. How many of us are hard on ourselves, right? You, you're really hard on yourselves. And then you come to Jesus. Like Jesus, you're, you're great for other people. You tell other people that, uh, you know, it's okay. Jesus loves you. There's grace. Start again. But for yourself, uh, that, doesn't really, that doesn't really happen. But you, that's actually true for you too. When you bring yourself to Jesus, there is this acceptance that he, he lavishes on us. So the last thing, number three, trust and wait on the Lord and then listen for him to speak. Right? Uh, Ethan didn't get into it, but that sense that he had um, that Jesus has accepted him. Jesus has spoken words of acceptance over him. Um, Trust and wait for God and listen for him to speak. So let's go through some scriptures. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait For the Lord. Next. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our shield and our help. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Next. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love that. How many of us get impatient in prayer? Or how many of us just do all the talking when we try to pray? We talk, God listens, we're done, right? Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Next, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. These are all different psalms, by the way. Next, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Anyone know Noah Johnson? That's his little memory verse. He's, like, he's five years old. He gets afraid of a lot of things. And whenever he's afraid, mom and dad say, what's your verse? When I'm afraid, I will trust in God. There it is. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This one verse, 62.8, encompasses all three of the steps um, that the psalmists do to increase their delight in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. We just, we just did that. It goes backwards. Pour out your hearts to him. I love that one. Just pour it out. Like, if you have a pitcher you know you like just pour it all out pour out your entire heart in front of God all of it the good the bad the ugly for God is our refuge all right so there's this worship of who God is God you are our refuge you are a safe place for us to go with all of our heart as we pour it out everything that is in our heart at the current moment the things we're ashamed of the things we love about ourselves the way that we really ticked off at this person and have judged them the way that we have, you know, we gave generously at church today and we're really proud of that or we feel really sad. All that is in your heart, pour it out before the Lord and trust in him. Trust in his gentleness and his graciousness and then wait for him to speak. So in conclusion, I'm gonna invite the band back up. If we want the happiness, if we want the blessing if we want the air that Psalm 1 talks about, we're invited to meditate on the word of the Lord and to delight in it. And delight in God himself, not just delight in the scripture. Then we will be like a tree planted by streams of, uh, plant, planted by the river, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. The leaf of our life does not wither and whatever we do will prosper so the, the only problem with that is, right, so we've kind of talked about one problem that we don't have this contentment, Then we talked about, here's one way that the psalmist goes about getting it, the three things, worship regardless of your circumstances, um, and uh, trust in the Lord, wait on him, and pour out your heart before him. But the problem is, we have all sat in the company of mockers, right, maybe not literally sat with a bunch of people mocking other people, but uh, the, image, the image works. We've all stood in the way of sinners, right? We've all walked in step with the wicked in some way or another. We've all, we've all done the stuff that someone says, don't do this if you want to be happy. We're like, oh, great. I've done all those things. And if you're like, I've never done those things, that's pride. You just did. We've all, we've all done those things, right? So this is the problem. How do we, how do we get, we, we're not able to fulfill what Psalm 1 asks of us on our own. We're not able to achieve that level of joy and peace and contentment and blessedness on our own. But thankfully, there is one who has. And as we come to the communion table this morning, we remembered that Jesus is the one, is the, is the person who Psalm 1 is, speaks about, is the ultimate person that Psalm 1 speaks about. He fulfills the description of Psalm 1 perfectly. He did not walk in step with the wicked. He did not stand in the way that sinners took. I mean, he spent his time with sinful people like you and me. Actually, he spent most of his time there, but he did not himself participate in wickedness or mockery or or evil. He did not participate in it. And then he was crucified on a tree and he was planted in the ground like a seed And three days later, he rose and produced a fruit of eternal life, which is a free gift to all of us. And now the streams of living water flow out from Jesus. Jesus is the true vine that does not wither. And all that are attached to him will not wither, but they will prosper. So as we come to the communion table this morning, um, come exactly as you are. Come being completely honest with what's in your box. Bring it before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. And offer your your praise to God that he accepts us exactly as we are. And maybe maybe one other practical way for us to practice these three steps is you might want prayer. There are folks over here ready to pray for you. Um, Maybe you find yourself in a place like Ethan where you're like, oh, I have these things that are really eating at me. uh, And you need to go... And receive prayer uh, and maybe, maybe have an encounter with, with God this morning. So, the communion service will come up, we'll sing, and then uh, as we sing, I invite you to come down the aisle as you're ready and go off to the side and feel free, grab, grab prayer if you feel you want that. Let me pray. Lord, I admit that I so often do not delight in you. I do not meditate on your word. I hide things in my life. I keep them from you. I try to keep you at a distance. Lord, I confess to you that I, uh, I am not able to do what is in Psalm 1. I have walked in ways of wickedness. I have... Um, I have sat in the company of mockers. I have participated in my own brokenness. I have caused some of the hurt and pain in my own life and in others. Lord, but I desperately want this peace, this contentment. Lord, we want uh, to be, we want to live happy, content lives, Lord, and you show us the way to do that. God, this morning as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, God, would you remind us That you are you have fulfilled Psalm one, Lord. You are the one, the only one that can bring us peace and contentment. God, so as we approach the table, I pray that we would bring our full selves to you. Our full selves. Everything that is hidden. God, we would bring it to you and receive your radical, relentless gentleness and grace. God, you love us so much and you, and you want us. You want to be with us. And you want all of us. Not just the parts we like or the parts that we think you're gonna like. Lord, so we worship you for that. We praise you for that. We wait for you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen.